0: welcome to laughter for all it's the podcast with comedian Nazareth Well hello 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 and welcome to another episode of the laughter for all podcast I am comedian Nazareth thank you so much for joining us in this beautiful Tuesday night 6:30 uh, p.m. California Pacific time uh, bringing you the laughter for all podcast weekly where you can laugh. And get to know comedians in a deeper way and enjoy them, but also at the same time you get to learn something from them. And also we get to bring you physicians, like last week we had a, a cardiologist, and we have psychiatrists, and we have models, and we have uh, you know funeral home directors. You name it. Anyone who I feel can be helpful to you. I'm going to bring him on the show. So come on in, everybody. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, Before we uh, introduce our guest, I'm so excited to talk with this man because I looked up to this man and the way he does his comedy. So uh, before I do that, I want to do uh, something from our sponsor. So here you go from the professional botanicals, the sponsor of the laughter for all. Physical activity,
1: obesity, diet, smoking, low on hormones, stress, sleep disorders, or your age can be supported by reducing inflammation and aiding the body to heal itself appropriately. A stem cell is a cell waiting to be told what it needs to be. If there is inflammation, that inflammation needs to be stopped high blood pressure, high cholesterol, kidney disease, Various types of cancer, depression, Alzheimer's disease, autoimmune disorders, osteoporosis, even fatty liver are chronic signs of inflammation and can be aided by supporting the body's ability to protect those cells that it needs, removing the inflammation. And that is the purpose of ImmuStem and Adaptostem together, supporting the body to be the best it can be.
0: Well, that is uh, our sponsor, uh, and these are the vitamins I take, and I've been taking. And I uh, try them online. and try them on live with you guys, and uh, I I don't swear as a Christian, but uh, they work for me. My inflammation is less, and my energy is up. But anyway, enough of that. I will remind you every night at 8:30 p.m. We have the live with Naz, an hour where you can laugh with us and get encouraged. 8 30 p.m. Pacific Time, every weeknight. And uh, right now, I'm excited to, uh, to bring to you... I wanted to have this guy earlier, but it didn't work out. But uh, Jeff, Big Daddy Wayne, he, uh, he was dubbed Big Daddy by Crystal... Uh, Billy Crystal and Robin Williams on an HBO comic relief show. The moniker has struck to a guy who's been part of the stand-up comedy scene for a long time. He's toured all over the world, several times in Europe... The Norwegian newspaper Sondags BA describe him as having amazing audience communication and ferociously funny, ferociously funny. He is, people. I've seen him live when I was starting my career, and this man is ferociously funny. He's appeared on many national TV shows, including Pawn Stars, and recently with Stephanie Haddish on Brian Allen's Comic Unleashed, a frequent guest on radio shows. Jeff is known for his quick wit and storytelling ability. His yarns are offbeat, little-known tales about old and new celebrities. Uh, his audiobook, uh, Racontour, is one of Amazon's best-selling products. Wayne has performed in various venues ranging from comedy clubs, concerts, and cruise ships. In theaters, his one-man show "Big Daddy's Barbecue" has been played over a thousand times and has generated sensational reviews from distinguished publications like the L.A. Times, Washington Post, Variety, Cleveland Plain Dealer, and NPR, which described Wayne as having the face of Fred Flintstone with the attitude of Al Bundy, and that's who he reminded me was. Please welcome uh, Big Daddy Jeff Wayne. How are you?
2: I I'm very well. How are you, sir?
0: Thank you so much for joining us tonight, and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Jeff, I, I don't know. I told you this once. I mean, we we didn't connect for years, but I told you I saw you once on stage, and I said, uh, "I better up my game." If if this is if this is doing stand up at its best, I really have to up my your game. But when did you start comedy? When? How long ago did you start well, comedy?
2: First, I want to thank you for the compliment. And any comic that is worth their salt has seen some act at some point and went, I better up my game. Uh, I was 14 years old. I decided I wanted to be a comedian. That's what I wanted to do. Uh I loved comedy. In those days, there were only three channels on the television. This is long before you arrived on Earth. We had ABC, CBS, and NBC. And they would show old movies, new movies. Uh, But the Marx Brothers, I really loved the Marx Brothers. And you had a sense of joy watching them. You know, of all the comedians I've ever watched, Harpo Marx, he has a sense of joy. Now, mm. I've fallen far beyond that mark, but if I was to do anything as a comedian, I think it's really to make people feel good, just take you to this place that you're just, oh my God, that's funny. You know, and uh, unfortunately, our world has changed so much, so rapidly, every day, every minute, everything just keeps changing. Um, and uh You know, just to show you controversy, which we might do here tonight on your your podcast, you might might light this thing up. Uh, The news tonight, if you watch the Dice News, on the national news, they're talking about the fact that there's a new comic book coming out with the uh, son of Superman. Yep. He's sexual. Yes. And everybody's going, oh, my God. Some people are cheering it. Some people were whatever. There was a guy in England that did this, that put this together. And he said, you know, I wanted a, a white guy who was a little different, da-da-da-da-da, not the stereotyped white strong man, you know. I thought, you know, you really want to make it controversial. Why don't you put the son of Superman as a born-again Christian?
1: <laughs> and I want to tell you something.
2: <laughs> the whole media would blow up. They would go crazy. Ah! <laughs>
0: You're right. You're right. They would My my
2: argument against this is um, or for this is, you know, white people aren't particularly popular now, especially with white people. You know, a lot of white people are very, very upset. And I I suspect they're guilty of something, you know. Uh, But uh, as we all know, Jesus was from Israel. Yeah, He was a uh, Palestinian, wasn't he?
0: yep he was he looked like me exactly but exactly. maybe a lot stronger
2: so in other words we achieve our goal because if we go by what the historical jesus looked like he's not a white man per se <laughs> <laughs> and he's bringing a whole new attitude to what superman could do if he was now that's the kind of routine i would do if i had um like i got my youtube channel you know unfortunately i'm having difficulty right now getting things where i shoot them but that's something that i would do that i think would be fun because Everybody loves this whole idea of oh my god he's gay. Oh oh he's different. Oh yeah, but who cares? Do something to really shake everybody.
0: (laughs) Make him a born again believer. He'll have more powers. Superman.
2: Media, you would have editorials, people going crazy. Oh my god, it would just be exciting. It would just be the comedy. But look at the comedy that's there, you know.
0: Oh, I know, Ken. can you imagine Superman trying to save people uh, from a building and they go, you can't go in because you're not vaccinated? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, tell me. Uh, I, you know what? You did a special on Dry Bar, and yes. you're from Kentucky originally. And it was what was it called, uh, the Dry Bar special?
2: The Dry Bar special was called Big Daddy Kicks It, but they changed the name of the uh, special for reasons I don't know. Called all mice go to heaven, and that was based on the fact that the most popular. Uh, they cut it into little routines and sort of advertise it on YouTube.
0: Uh huh.
2: And I do a bit about trying to get a mouse trap at um, Home Depot. And uh, there's nothing saying mice go to heaven. Somebody put that on there, which I guess it's okay. I, I you know once it gets out there, it's you did the dry bar, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I did. I did. I Mine was. You- I don't know what they called mine and I, I, I wanted to call it like 711 or Slurpee, but uh I, I I don't know what they called it. They it doesn't matter, name, they don't remember that.
2: They let us name the special but I wasn't informed they were changing the name. But you know what? It was a beautiful special. I want to tell you, you know, my mother is a what we call back east, I don't know if you've ever heard this term before, down south where I'm from back east Kentucky, a bible thumper. She's
0: a, bible a bible thumper. thumper okay <laughs>
2: uh, so she watched the special and she liked it and um i said you know mom those are mormons that do that you know i said you know mom those mormons were so nice to me i'm thinking about converting <laughs> oh
0: uh, you are hurting mom
2: i'm glad she laughed she didn't uh, uh but she got a good uh, sense of humor in fact she she called me up about a comedian that she seen that i had to see. She's seen me many times and she's okay and complimentary. It's the first time some, she ever called me and said, "You got to see this guy. He's so funny. Oh my god, this guy is hysterical." Never talked about me like that. So, it was the comedian Fluffy, you know Fluffy?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that I worked with a, a, he opened for me many years ago uh, in uh, at the Veterans in uh, El pa- uh, Pasadena or uh, not not yeah. near Pasadena, San Pedro. Yeah.
2: I, I met him a couple of times very briefly, but I looked him up on uh, the net and everything. Very funny guy, but I thought it was funny that my mom has a... I never got that praise from her, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm saying, Mom, I'm going to have to change my act. What can I do, you know? So.
0: <laughs> but let me go back to the Dry Bar. The whole Dry Bar special theme was about you saying you're from, you know, you're like the... Trailer park, white guy, and nobody is upset if the people uh, pick on that or people, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us a little I, bit I, about I, that.
2: My point is in this world we live in today, you know, everybody's a victim. Everybody's oppressed. It's racist. It's uh, sexist. It's homophobic. Uh, but you can say whatever you want about people from down south. and You make fun of them, nobody cares. You make fun of Christians, nobody cares. But there's tiers of people in the South. There's Country Club Southern, which are people like Jimmy Carter. Then there's Rednecks, good old boys. And then there's White Trash. That's the lowest of the low. There's anything's above White Trash. We exist to make everybody feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I predicate my act on that fact because... Um, In the world right now, you know, uh, white privilege, you know, white trash privilege. (laughs) I I don't know what, I I feel sorry for these other people if they've had no privilege because I've had to work for everything I got and I don't got much. And my relatives (laughs) were all very poor people. Uh, You know, when I was in high school, I didn't get letters from Harvard saying, you got to come up. Hey, we want you right now. Hey, you get in for free. I've had to work for everything, albeit I understand some of their argument. I've seen some racism displayed in my life. Uh, but I, I, get, I think the narrative gets tired, to use that overused term now. You know, everybody, the narrative, the narrative. Well, you know the narrative. The narrative is getting sort of tiresome because there's very successful people from all, all genres. That's that's what the, the United States is about. That's why people risk their lives coming here. That's why people come in boats, uh, uh, on couches from Cuba, you know, because as bad as the United States is, according to all the rich white people that live here, you notice it's all white rich people that say these things, trust fund babies, you know, they're always talking, you don't know the things that we've done, you know, everybody's done something bad, every country you've ever been in has done something bad, every history is littered with horrible things, let's focus on the good things. Let's focus You're, on the positive
1: things.
0: I like that. I like it because you know what? I lived, I lived overseas the first uh, quarter of my life. I travel a lot. You know what? Racism is not an American thing. It's not. No. It's all. It's a human nature. A human sin. It's a something. I will tell you and- where
2: that. I'll tell you where that comes from in the United States. When you get our history books, you when I was taught history in my school. You'd think the United States was the only place that had slavery. You'd think this was the only place that had slavery. It's all over the world. Here's what I always look at. There was a guy called, and I think he's still alive, Paul Thoreau. He writes very good books, Mosquito Coast and some other books. But he he writes travel books. Like he took uh, the train from the top of the United States all the way to the bottom of South America. He rode the Red Rooster through China. But he did a trip where he started at the the, uh, Gibraltar.
1: And mm-hmm. Spain
2: goes all all over the Mediterranean, what would be the outline of the Mediterranean? Up Spain okay. to France, Italy, Albania, Greece, over to Turkey, over to the Mideast, just following the coast. Yeah. But everywhere he goes, there's nothing but racism. The Spanish hate the French, the French hate the Italians, they hate each other, and they hate all the people from Africa. And when you get to Africa, the Libyans hate the people next to. That, 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 that. And the other thing i tell people about is going to scandinavia i did five tours
0: five denmark. tours in scandinavia
2: yes denmark sweden and norway these are all peoples of one color basically yeah blonde hair blue eyes white you almost go snowblind looking at the audience <laughs> their faith which they're they're more secular now you know they um are smart but they all hate each other denmark hates norway hates sweden I went to work in Sweden and the guy said, "Oh, you're you were in Denmark, that giant drunk disco." "Oh, you're going <laughs> to Norway, those farmers over there." The Norwegians all this all the the Swedes think they're so hot, they think they're so good. I mean, it's just incredible that I think we have to embrace the fact that there's just a lot of people in the world that have a status. They always think in terms of status. I'm from the big mm. city. Uh, we know what's going on i'm from the small city we really are relaxed and we know it you know i don't know what maybe i'll make a routine about it but uh thank god you have your podcast
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know uh let me ask you this while we're on this subject uh you know considering today netflix came up with this thing defending uh chapel for his new uh special called the closer and he made some remarks that was like anti-transgender or something, whatever. But they stood by him. Now, before that, I mean, that was a move to the other side because before that, it was every we're getting to this walk movement where comedians cannot share what they feel and what. I, you know, it's it seems that only Chappelle is the one who's available, able to say what he feels. But when you do, you get canceled. Did you have to change your act to kind of? Uh, right, right now, when you write a bit, do you have to think about it a lot more well, than you did?
2: Let's say this: Dave Chappelle is a very funny man. Dave Chappelle is upset men, upset people, because he has a distinct viewpoint. And Dave Chappelle is funny, and they're very confused because they love Dave until he said this, and now they're like, "Well, wait, wait, where are you at?" I think, as a comedian, now I'm going to speak to comedians in general. You're working yeah. in front of an audience, all right. So let's say you're doing a convention. Let's say you're going to a blue-haired lady's place, a luncheon. You're doing the main room of a ship. You're opening for a star. you got to really be careful what you do because you don't want to offend that audience. Now, in a comedy club, like the Comedy Store or somewhere like that, it broadens up a little bit. But the truth is, in today's world, people can't wait to be offended. And they will be offended over anything. So the comedian's in a bad situation. If you say, I'm fat, oh, you're making fun of fat people. If you say, I'm white trash from Kentucky, oh, you're making fun of Kentucky. In other words, you could be offended. People could be offended right now by anything we're doing. They could be offended by that horrible shirt you're wearing. That's been bothering oh, me my. since I got on here. and I said, I'm going to yeah. send this man a shirt.
0: I deliberately wore it. Oh, <laughs> Just I to, to bring some <laughs> emotions out of you. <laughs> Uh, you know, by the way, uh, so, I wanted
2: to compliment you because uh, after we spoke, I went to look at some clips, and I've seen a lot of uh, Christian comedians. And I, I think you're a comedian, and you do some Christian co- comedy. Would that be a, a good? Uh, yeah, you
0: know, yeah. Comedy? I don't do Noah joke, and uh, you know Moses uh, joke. No.
2: How you based it on the scripture? You know, which I think is great because it focused people. You know, I never thought of it like that. But what I thought was wonderful about that was, and by the way. You know, I don't need the job. You're not paying me. I should tell your audience.
0: <laughs> right. And you know, anytime you compliment me, I'm gonna shut up and listen because ah. I'm a nice
2: <laughs> You are the I like... American, aren't you? Uh <laughs> Are you an American, by the way? Should we check out your
0: citizenship? What What do you... I am. I am. On? No, I am. I am an. My only citizenship ever in my life was American citizenship. I've never really? had any... Yeah, I've never had... Until I went to the immigration in Los Angeles and I swore uh, to, you know, to honor this country, to be this number one in my thing, I would, you know fight for this country, right. that's when I when I got my citizenship and, and that's all. I'm so proud to be an American, I mean, I've been, well, I've been an gosh, American, yeah, so Polish, that's, uh, that's,
2: that's what I don't understand, there's all these people, all they do is wring their hands and criticize America, what country can't be criticized, what nation, who hasn't made some mistakes, you know, I mean, my gosh, uh, people from, like, you know, where I go all over the world, people would have come to the United States. They're not fighting to get into China, are they? They no. don't want to get into uh, Iran. They don't want to go to Russia. Uh, I mean, I don't understand it. It's just like they hate. It's a lot of self-hatred. And you I know, I,
0: I I used to say that, and I heard it last week from Pitbull, where he said, and it's the same thing. A lot of immigrants, as I said, hey, we are so proud to be an American. This is the greatest nation on earth. And if you don't like it, You go to the places where we left (laughs) and go spend a week there and then you'll be back. Right. We all left from places because we wanted to be here. And uh, yeah, Uh, now I understand there is like changes. Like when I lived in the, you know, I always used to say, okay, uh, in the Middle East, you know, if if you say something that the government doesn't like, they kind of, you know, they will shut you off. They will ruin your business. They will ruin your life. You might go to prison and all that. And I said, in America, you can say whatever you want and nobody would care. You can make fun of the president when you can. But I think that's changing right now. You're right. It
2: uh, is changing with the cancel culture, the social justice warriors who comb the Internet looking for anybody. They don't like what you're saying. All the people that talk about free speech, usually half of them are against it. You know, they're against anybody speaking. They want to put their foot on anybody. They don't they don't agree with them. Uh, so we have social justice warriors, these self-appointed um, saviors of our society, and cancel culture. Instead of just saying, hey, look, somebody gets to speak. If you don't like what they're saying, you just don't listen. That's as simple as that. If somebody doesn't like what we're doing, they can turn it off. You can change exactly. the channel on TV. It's as simple as that.
0: You're right. Now, let me, let me lighten up a little bit and just take you to the... Your career. You're a man who worked with so many celebrities: Roseanne, Jim Carrey, Louis Anderson, and you've also were in the same management with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. Yes. Who, who was your favorites? Who did you meet that you? They were nice people. Give us some, some di- di- good dirt on some of the celebrities. The a good dirt. Bit.
2: I like that. That that sounds like the TV series. I people <laughs> to tune in the the good dirt. You know, you certainly get farmers. Uh, I don't know you as an opening act, but me as an opening act, I rarely met the person you were opening for. Mm. Uh, the tapes had to be submitted to their managers or their agents. It had to be cleared. Usually their manager or agent would walk in and talk to you about, don't do this, don't do that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, sometimes they would come in and just say, hello, nice that you're here. Uh, my favorite one that I opened for was the singer Robert Goulet, and that was down in Bar Harbor in Miami. And uh, I had been cleared, but they said, Mr. Goulet would like to speak to you. And I, I arrived during his rehearsal and he was there with a big cigar, you know, and he's singing in the middle of the stage had that great voice. When he came off, this guy talks to him, that guy talks to him, and then his manager says, I'm the comedian. He walks over and shakes my hand. He says, Jeff, I watched some of your, you're very funny, he says, now listen, You've been told not to do, no dirty material. I said, no, I I don't. I wouldn't do that to you, Mr. Goulet. He said, right, because I do the dirty (laughs) jokes. But but usually, in my experience, I mean, I meet a few of them, but most of the times everybody is just work, and you're just there to do X. Unless you tour with somebody regularly. I have talked to the comics that toured with people over a number of years, and then you get to know them, and then it's a different situation. But, you know, my primary career, headlining comedy clubs, and then doing my one-person show, uh, I did. I did some opening, but not not a, the people you were talking about, Jim Carrey and Roseanne. And then I worked at the comedy store. At the comedy store, you would be working with people, levels of the business. And so, you know, you're there one night, and they go, "Okay, well, you're following Robin Williams tonight. How do you follow Robin Williams? How do you just do it?" But I mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a success he squeezed everything out of that audience that was gonna happen and everybody's talking. But it puts you through enough situations as a comedian. That was the great thing about the comedy store.
1: Mm.
2: Mitzi to me was the best at putting together this artist colony. Where you I mean she would put you opening, she put you late, she put you in the middle of the show. She put you in the big room she put you in the in other words, training you. You're getting training, you're going through all these hoops. And then you would go to La Jolla, which did you ever do the comedy store in La Jolla? Uh, Yes. Beautiful room and beautiful audiences, and and I'll tell you when we had the comedy store in Las Vegas, some of the best memories uh, I've ever had in my life. You audience, know now,
1: beautiful.
0: now uh, you you're you're hard to follow. I don't think uh, people can follow you. But uh, uh, when when would you rather continue to headline or would you rather do your one man show that you did, the Big Daddy Barbecue?
2: Well, that's a good question. You've asked a very good question. I love to do comedy. I love getting in front of an audience. And by the way, this is the first show I've done since March of 2020. I've done no public performing. I've done no podcast. I've done nothing. Uh, I've been writing a book. uh, And I've been uh, working on other projects. Uh, But that's a really good question because I love my one-man show. I really love that show, and it always does well, but I also love to, I guess I like doing it all, but right now I'm in a bit of a tumult, because I'm not sure exactly what I really want to do right now, because I've been doing comedy a long time. You know, I was was 16 when I first went on stage. I was 14 when I decided, 16 when I went on stage, and um, I've appeared in, I think, just about every kind of comedy venue that there is, really.
0: But uh, what do you call it? So when you did your one-man show, uh, was it all comedy or there were serious moments where you had to act, be be more of an well, actor?
2: Let me tell you about the one-man show. Yes. I was blessed by God. Trust me. By the way, people say to me, you know, sometimes, uh, what's your proof that there's a God? And I tell them, Laurel and Hardy.
0: Laurel <laughs> That Nobody answered that only way. i only okay. to
2: bring those two together, you know. Um, but I was blessed by God because I, I got to meet Ted Lange, who is Isaac on the Love Boat. Now, mm. Ted Lange, was uh, the bartender, you know, he actually is a trained actor, and he has done all kinds of theater. I mean, this man is total theater. He was also in the National Touring Company of Hair. And I used to tell him, you destroyed the myth. You know what that joke is? I bet you don't know what that joke is, do you? No. Hair was a play that was very controversial because it was the first time nudity was performed on Broadway. It was sanctioned. So Ted was in the National Touring Company, and he's a black man, and I said, you destroyed the myth.
0: <laughs> Ow. Go. Okay.
2: Ted laughs. Anyway, okay.
0: Ted is a right.
2: director. He came over to see my show. It's a long story, but he said, okay, one man shows. I had a, a guy that I was in Hurricane Niki. And I was working with a comic called John Borcher's a very good comedian. And while uh-huh. we were spending our time waiting to be rescued after five days, he said, You know, Jeff, you got so many, you got so much material and you got so many opinions, you ought to do one of these one-man shows. Everybody's doing a one-man show. Cut to going to Ted, Ted saying, Okay, right, 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 right. I mean, he put me through about a year of writing and writing and writing, and I was about ready to pull my hair out and leave. Anyway, what happens is. The one, A lot of people think a one-man show is a comedian just talking. That's mm-hmm. not what a one-man show is. There's more to it. In my show, I'm at a barbecue. I'm getting ready to barbecue for everybody. And my wife is over there, and we don't like all of our friends, you know, so there's jokes about this. So I'm talking about eating, drinking, life's pleasures started off, you know. And uh, so there's a joke about drinking, a joke about eating, a joke about our friends, a joke about this. Or but then there comes these... Um, dramatic moments in the show because I'm talking about my wife who I love, but I have some trouble with, right? Mm -hmm. The whole point of the play is that he wants to go see Johnny Mathis. Johnny Mathis in real life is my favorite singer. So he wants to see Johnny Mathis. So you see big daddy, a big old white trash boy that likes Johnny Mathis. (laughs) uh, She wants to go to the opera. Well, I have no desire to go to the opera. I, I guess it's wonderful, but she wants to go to the opera because it's status. She bought a new gown for the opera. You know, blah 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 blah. So anyway, we go through the entire play, and there's some dramatic moments that are set up, and Ted did it all. Let me tell you, Ted made that show a success. Wow! When to stop. When to start? Hold the line here. Walk over this way, and boy, it just started coming alive. We could feel it coming alive, and um. At the end of the show, Big Daddy has put on the tuxedo. Uh, and he's getting ready to go to the opera. And she said to check the tickets. And I pull out the tickets. And in the end, they're for Johnny Mathis.
0: Aww.
2: And you see what Aww. you just did? That's what the whole audience says. The whole audience goes, oh. Aww,
1: but one that's of the nice. things
2: that made the show a success was I talked about things I loved rather than things I didn't like. Because most comedians get up and talk about, I
1: don't like this, I don't
2: like that, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this. In the play, I was talking about all the things that I love. And um, we did that at the Theater West. I got a standing ovation that night, and it was like a show business story. The next day, the phone was ringing off the hook. Now, here's a story you might like, because you're an entertainer, you're a performer, right? Right. We went to Theater West for five days to do the rehearsals. One, two, three, Ted is getting me, to, oh man, I mean, this guy's working me. On our last day, we're supposed to have a dress rehearsal before our opening night. Ted was late. Maz, Ted was never late. I'm upset. I'm nervous. Ted goes, okay, let's, the opening of the first act, he goes, okay, that's it. Just show me the close of the first act. Okay, opening of the second act. Okay, close. Okay, I'll see you later. I got to go. I get a very important appointment. And I'm like, how can he do this to me? <laughs> we got this place sold out. I got, oh, my God, he's deserted me. He's, it's, a, it's a piece of crap. Nobody cares. I'm sitting backstage, and I'm listening to all the people and the hum and everything. And it, I was supposed to enter with a tray of meat, and we had, like, plastic meat that you would use as a prop.
1: Uh-huh. So
2: Ted walks in with a big smile. And he's got a tray of big, thick steaks. And he goes, here, Jeff, this is what Big Daddy would walk in with. I look and I go, Ted, Ted, how could you do that to me? How could you desert me like that? This afternoon I needed you. He said, you had this thing down two days ago. Go out there and get him.
0: <laughs> now, uh, work. Uh, now, were you the only performer on that, uh, on that one-man show? Was there like imaginary wife sitting there?
2: Imaginary, yeah. There was an imaginary wife who I would talk to you know who's supposed to be over there uh, I see but uh I'm telling you those magical moments in that show i I played it last year at the coach house down in um San Pasadena
0: Juan oh San Juan Capa. Uh,
2: yeah uh, but I mean I the performed coach. all over the country with that play
0: and, no uh, and let me, I don't want to interrupt uh, the the thought but I want really something I want to know uh were you now, in a one man show, were you very concerned about boom, laughter, laughter, or it, it, it didn't matter? T-
2: one of the to reasons you. my show worked is I was a comedian. I know where the laughs were. A lot of the material in the show was stuff that had been tested by me for years in clubs. Mm. So as we're going to this routine, it's a, it's a routine I know gets laughs. So we go to this routine, I know where those laughs are. Ted was able to make me write and bring those all together. Now, one of the things that made my show a success is there were a lot of laughs and there was a backstory.
1: Mm. And Big Daddy
2: was a very definite character. A lot of people tried the one-man shows. And unfortunately for them, a lot of them didn't have a lot of laughs. I would go out and see them. i try to be supportive of some of my buddies and friends. But there wasn't a lot of laughs. They would get lost trying to think this is what the show should be. Or they would just come out and do their stand-up act. 90 minutes of stand-up is too much.
0: Right. You know. Did you did you feel like I I should get a sitcom out of this or it was well, a we room? got
2: an offer. We we did uh, Barry Kemp did coach. Uh Barry Kemp uh NBC did a pilot. And then uh UPN did a pilot. Uh but for whatever reasons, uh the show wasn't picked up. So we all mm. know there's a lot of T V shows that aren't picked up, but it was a a great thrill to have Ted direct me on our TV pilot over at Universal. And, uh, you know, I thought the pilot was as good as anything I've seen. Missy Shore, God bless her heart, she called to Rick Ludwig over at NBC. And uh, he said it just doesn't fit our schedule. But, you know, the people that run TV, they're they're Eastern College guys and gals. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, a very – I mean, I'm not taking anything away from them. They know their business. You know, and if it sales, it's wonderful. And if it doesn't, we got to go on. You know
0: was it recorded ever? Yes. Can we watch it somewhere? Is there a place where we can?
2: I think on YouTube somewhere there's a clip of it with Tom Poston. I was with Tom Poston. Uh but I'll I'll find you something on it. I mean uh yeah yeah I got copies of it uh of the pilot. It was an NBC pilot. I mean it was first rate. We had all good actors. Uh there was one scene that I I wish I know what I know now because there's a scene I would have brought up some ideas for but Listen, when you're working with a guy like Barry Kemp,
1: yeah,
0: but you know, I mean the original post- one, the origin, yeah, the original one, the one that you did on in the West uh, Theater. Do yeah. you that was that recorded?
2: Yes, yeah, so I got it somewhere. I got all my. I got a lot of the of my shows. You know, I I did the whole improv route for two years, because they converted themselves to theater, restaurants, clubs. So I was yeah. in uh, Dallas for sixteen weeks. I was in Tempe for ten weeks.
0: Doing, doing that, that play,
2: six weeks. Yeah, doing my one man show. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, and there was a question that asked by Sarah on one of the fans watching. What was your first gig ever like? You've ever.
2: Well, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you the first time I got on stage. I, I told you I love the Marx Brothers. Well, my brother and I both love the March Brothers, so he did like a Harpo character, and I did a Chico Groucho character. Uh And I wrote a sketch. And uh, let me tell you the real reason. At 14, I said I want to be a comedian, right? Right. So at 15, I'm dating this girl, my girlfriend. And we go to the high school variety show. And like a lot of people, I sit there criticizing the entire show. And there was somebody that was doing comedy. And I, ah, that ain't that funny. This ain't that good. She says, you know, you're saying you're a comedian. Why don't you do that? Why are you sitting out here talking about him? Why don't you do that? If you're a real comedian, you get So I wrote a sketch. The next year, me and my brother got up and did this sketch at Newport High School. And it was the hit of the show. That's what convinced me, okay, I'm okay for It really was elated. Because we did an afternoon show for all the classes. And then the next two nights, we did the show. So now I'm thinking of my first paid job. That's That's a very good question. To go back in my mind, the first time I was paid... To perform well, me and my brother got paid, but I can't really recall. We did all kinds of little shows. Everybody would say, You got a cute act, you got a cute act, but as a stand up by myself, you know, I think it was like $25 at a VFW. I had a couple of people that agencies that would say, Hey, here's a little job, go do this job. And it was like 25 bucks, but you know, that's a good question. And what I'll do is I'll go back and I will search my mind. I will tell you something that happened that was interesting. There were no comedy clubs when I was working. So Uh I would go to little lounges and ask, can I get up between your sets and do a joke or do a little sketch? And sometimes it didn't go very well. But I'll never forget one night I was so depressed. And I thought, maybe I I shouldn't do this. And I went out to some place. We're right across from Cincinnati. There was some suburb in Cincinnati. And Uh I went to a place called the Blue Danube Lounge. It was in some (laughs) suburb i want to tell you I killed that night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, you killed, killed a, the Blue Dino. I always wanted to do that place. And, no, no, I'm just, just kidding.
2: It, it was like, every, you know, you experience this as a comedian. Everything's working that's supposed to work. You know, everything's working mm. that is supposed to work. But I do remember when I got my first booking at a comedy club. I remember when Mitzi made me a regular. I remember the first time I worked in Las Vegas, which was a big deal. Working in Las Vegas was a very big deal to me, you know. Right. And... Um, but being part of the comedy store, the reason I came to L.A. just really meant a lot. And it took me 18 auditions with Mitzi. Yeah. It and
0: took me 18 you...
2: auditions when it, when it happened.
0: But uh, when was the first time your mom came and saw you perform? My
2: mom. My mom, I, I, I wasn't doing my mom a, uh, a disjustice there when I was telling you, but I never heard her carry on about any comedian except Fluffy. Uh, in fact, I put <laughs> it on YouTube. Am I allowed to mention my YouTube channel?
0: Yes, of course. I want to talk about it uh, at the end.
2: I put that on there about Fluffy because it was my mom. My mom and dad came to the high school variety show that me and my brother did, as I told you.
0: Mm. I
2: heard my dad go, that's my tie. Because my brother was wearing his tie, and I heard my dad go, that's my tie. But they enjoyed it. My mom and dad were always very supportive, and all my relatives. Nobody knew what we were doing, but they were very supportive of it.
0: (laughs) That Now, ah. Were you, in, first of all, what, what is your brother doing? Where, where is your brother now?
2: I have, I had five brothers, so there were six of us.
0: No, the my one mom, that was with you.
2: Well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Fact, there were six, so I think my mom and dad wanted their own pallbearers. <laughs> uh, so my brother who played Harpo, now this is a true story, I'm telling you.
1: Uh-huh. He's
2: absolutely brilliant. He used the GED for what you're supposed to use it for, where you you skip out of school, you're so bright. And he went to college. And he went to uh, Bowling Green University in Toledo. Then he went to the University of Utrecht. And then he graduated from Freiburg in Germany. And he's a philosopher. He primarily teaches about Nietzsche. And he learned to speak German or read German because he wanted to read the original text. He didn't oh. want to read the translation. He wanted to get as close to the original text as he could. So he's been making his living. He's written about five books. I don't understand any of them. I don't know what they're talking about. You know, a philosopher says, is the glass half filled or half empty? I say, well, what's in the glass? You know, if it's Jim Beam, <laughs> it's half empty with me. Um, my other brother, uh, Nick, unfortunately, had a lot of problems. Uh, but praise God, he's like the black sheep. The project called Son, he came back and then uh, my brother, Kyle, God rest his soul, he passed away. Kyle had a hard time handling life and a lot of drinking and drugs. He mm. wasn't a bad guy. And I just wish he would have been a little stronger. Then I have a brother, Doug, who's the white sheep of the family. He is uh, a good old Bible thumper, hard worker, takes care of my mom. My father passed away. And then my brother, Barry, is uh, a hardworking guy who's a bright, fun guy. Has a good marriage. Um, is a very good father. His son, the son has uh, the special X chromosome. So it's mm. you know that's 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 a you know families out there that have people like my son had schizophrenia. That's what mm. my book is about. My son took his life, so I've, I've written a book to honor his life. You know that I got to go out and do comedy, and my son is sitting there. You know, God knows, you know, uh, through different phases they go through. It how did
0: but you I, handle I, it huh how did you how did you handle that uh, knowing that your son at home and he could do something if, i tried to have people
2: to watch my son and monitor my son and he was with his mother a lot but the i will say this uh, the doctors we had were fairly good doctors he wanted to get well uh he was a kid that got off the path because me and his mother had a lot of problems one thing mm-hmm. they don't tell you that maybe you look like a smarter man than me, or maybe you figured it out. But when you get into entertainment, you're going to travel a lot. I don't care what level of entertainment, you're going to be gone a lot. And we mm-hmm. weren't prepared for all the things that were going to happen in our lives. And, you know, uh, I'm just a high school graduate from Kentucky. That's equivalent to a third grade education anywhere. Else. <laughs> 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 and, I Tell the audience I'm gonna be talking more about this if I go back to my act. You know, my mom was a Bible thumper and my dad was a gambler. His problem was mm-hmm. he never won. He was he lost all the time. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I never gamble. If I've seen him win, I might have said, Wow, that's what to do. But my mom went deep in the faith because it's what saved her, because she had all these kids and a husband out gambling all the time. But Christ is what saved her, not drugs, not liquor not being a prostitute, not just leaving, you know, because sometimes people just leave, male or female. They'll just leave. Yeah. So mom, mom hung in there. And um, when my son went through this uh, situation, and uh, that's what the book is about. Your whole life changes because mental illness comes out of nowhere. It just lands. It
1: just yes. lands,
2: you know. And uh, unfortunately, he, he had gotten off on the wrong foot We thought it was drugs. We thought his brain had been fried. So it was a Mm. misdiagnosis there, you know. But uh, God bless his heart. He did as well as he could, and he held up as long as he could. And then, you know, some days uh, God uh, answered. uh, I'm sure many of your people pray and read out there. I prayed for Aaron to live. And I forget where I read this at or heard it from, but what was his prayer? Mm. What What was his prayer? was it just too much you know what i mean what was his prayer so we when we pray for people sometimes we got to say gosh my prayer wasn't answered but what was their prayer you know so
0: how old was he
2: he was 28 when, years
0: old and he had a where were you and where were you when it happened were you on the road
2: When my son took his life
0: yeah
2: uh i was back in town i was at the house and i was hoping to get together with him that day because he lived with me up until the last couple of months, and he moved in with his mother. She had a trailer in the back uh, of her house that he lived in. But he had been getting very depressed, and he had gotten, you know, they get off their medication, things happen, da 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 da, and um, you know it gets very complex. I got it in the book, but uh, it was pretty horrible. It's pretty horrible. And uh, but I will tell you, he's at peace. Uh, he was a believer. And, uh, but you never know the pain these people are going through you know the agony that they're going through you know so uh, so I hope the book I give some uh, what I call our helpful hints for people uh, every book I got about schizophrenia that I read was too academic for me. They would talk about brain waves and neurons and that I want to say to people make sure they take the medication here's how you do it mm-hmm. if they say something to you listen carefully. Because my son said to me one night, he says, "You know, Dad, if anything ever happens to me, will you take mm. care of Belle? That's our dog." Now I'm trying to be positive, right? And I said, "Aaron, nothing's going to happen to you." But now that I look back, to, I say, "Well, why would you ask me that, Aaron?
0: Why would mm. you say
1: something
2: might happen to you? You know what I'm saying?"
0: So, what? When was the what was the first show you did after? Your son went to be with the Lord.
2: I went to work one week after he died.
0: How was that? How was that performance? I went
2: to the comedy store. And uh, I hadn't been to the comedy store in a while, but I knew one thing. It's like uh, falling off a horse. You got to get back on it. I knew I had to get back on it. And I knew knew that Aaron wanted that. Aaron liked what I was doing. He liked what I was doing. He liked all of it. He liked the Mm. crazy show business people uh he just loved it you know and i just knew and i worked as soon as possible because you got to get back up there you you, an entertainer has to clear their mind of everything here's the audience i got to make these people laugh you know and you got to just get right into it and i think it was a challenge for myself to say can i do this anymore Mm. you know remove that off your mind but it's something that everybody has to do in entertainment whether you're a musician or an actor uh you can't go out there carrying all this weight, it'll it'll come through. Which it does sometimes. You've seen comedians like that. They get angry, they carry their anger to the stage, they get unhappy, they carry that to the stage. And we gotta be able to toss that all off. Hey folks, how you doing? God bless you. Happy you're here tonight. Mm. Yeah.
0: Now were you were you mad at God?
2: I was not. I was not. Now, there's a wonderful book that I'm sure a lot of you have read by the rabbi whose name escapes me who wrote When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Have you ever heard of that book?
0: Yeah, I heard of the book.
2: Okay, it's a very good book because he talks about him and his wife and he was a rabbi. They did everything the way they're supposed to do it, but their son is is uh, condemned to death. His son was born with a horrible disease and they said he won't live past 14. So he had another book about... Uh, About four years ago, about being angry with God, saying you're allowed to be angry with God. And he cites Moses. Moses got angry with God, you know. But I was not angry with God. I was um, just completely perplexed. I think it's honest to say, what is this all about? What was this? Why did all this happen? What's the point? Uh, There is a point we have to trust God. That there are things that are happening that we have no knowledge of. No knowledge of. And again, I went back to the fact that what would, what did Aaron want? What was his covenant with God? Mm. Aaron at the end wanted to go to heaven. He was talking about heaven for the last uh, month of his life. You know, heaven, how beautiful it is, how peaceful it is, how tranquil it is. Da-da-da-da. And uh, unfortunately, there's only one way to go to heaven. I think there were two people in the bible that didn't die i think there's two people that went straight to
0: heaven yeah enoch and uh elijah
2: okay i'm praying to be the third so i I try to remember all the good times about Aaron. i wrote a book to honor his life uh, and to give people an insight into um what happens with mental illness because you know they they have no idea there's medications that can control it and things like that but uh but, but Aaron had a wonderful sense of humor, um, a schizophrenic sense of humor, and I'll describe it to you. I had to do a show up in Fresno at a Holiday Inn. And sometimes you got to get these people to shower and change their clothes because they won't do it. And sometimes Aaron looked just like a bum, just like a bum. And I was in a rush that day. I didn't get a chance to change him. And I said, listen, when we get to the hotel, you're to shower, you're going to change your clothes. I got all clean clothes for you. So... He looked so bad. I said, you stay out here by the car. I'm going to go get the room, and then we're going we're gonna to go in the back way, but you're, you're, you're changing. You're, come on, you can't look like this. So when I walked out to the car, uh, they smoke a lot. Schizophrenies smoke a lot. So he was smoking, and that was a big battle, the smoking. And he's laughing. And I said, what's so funny? He said, uh, the security guard just came out and told me no bums are allowed <laughs> And he thought that was hilarious, and it was hilarious that it said, uh, you know, but uh, these are just things we go through. Uh, we go
0: through. Jeff, uh, how did your mom's faith affect you personally, and where where was Jesus in this whole process with you?
2: Well, it would be very complex to put it all together on your show. But my mother, as I told you, is deep in the faith because it saved her family. You know, that's what saved her. But her mother, my grandmother, God bless her heart, Mary Reynolds, was very deep in the faith. Quite a different Christian than my mother, in a sense. They're different people, but uh, beautiful dimensions of faith. And then I had a wonderful friend I made of a man named Reverend Rankin, who was a Methodist minister in Dayton, Kentucky. See, when me and my brother would do these shows, we would do little shows. And the churches, it was like rock and roll. When you read about the rock and roll guys, they all started in churches. Yeah. But they also coming and doing their singing in, in churches. Well, we were doing our sketches and a wonderful man named Reverend Rankin, who was just a beautiful soul and a real guide for me, and um, had a wonderful testimony, by the way, which I'll share with you quickly. It may inspire somebody. He was a very okay, successful please. he was a very successful candy salesman. I'm talking about he had some cash. Anyway, around the age of 45, he almost died, and he had a wife and two children. And he was a Christian, and he prayed. He said, God, if you let me live, I, I will serve you. I will do whatever you want. I'll minister for you. Well, he lived. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he would say to you. I lived. <laughs> so he became, he was from the Methodist faith, and he had to go to, uh, what do they call it? They go to the school. Seminary?
0: Seminary? Seminary.
2: And he said, you know, it was really weird because everybody's 20 years younger than I am. And he said, so. I studied hard, I worked hard, but I was out of my element. These kids, these people, but I knew the scriptures, I knew the faith, I had my testimony. They said, so when they go to approve you, there's like eight guys that sit around you in a semicircle and ask you questions about the Bible and the da-da-da-da-da-da. And he said, let me tell you, when we broke for lunch, I wasn't cutting it. I could tell, I'm not going to make it. So he said, uh, Instead of getting lunch, he said, I went to a very isolated part of the campus and I prayed. And I said, God, I will serve you. Just show me how to how to handle this because it's not working. How do I love this? Because he said, I knew instantly what I had to do. As I'm walking back, the voice in my head said, act like you're selling candy. Because that's what he was very successful. What would you do right now if you were selling candy? So he said, I went down and the eight guys looked at me. They <laughs> And he said, hey, can I say something before we start? I know it isn't going well, but if you give me a chance, I'm going to show you I know what I know this stuff. And he said they sort of chuckled and laughed because I acknowledged that it was. Them. And he and he said everything from there on was just beautiful. He was a beautiful man and did a lot of work. And my heart goes out to the people who don't know the work that, that ministers, pastors, priests, rabbis, and what other religious people do. They're ministering to the sick. They're going to the hospitals, going to people on their deathbeds. I wouldn't want that job. I wouldn't mm-hmm. know what to say, you know. And I saw him through so many rough situations with people. Uh, but my mom gave me great faith, and I look. I'm not a not a very good Christian. I'm going to be honest with you. I would be spit out. Uh, but I what I say about that is, uh, I think every day is a challenge to faith. I challenge mm-hmm. myself about my language sometimes. I try to eradicate it on stage. I've been trying to get rid of that. Um, I try in my personal life to get rid of it. It's a bad habit, but it's not a good one. I'd like to have a couple of drinks. I don't know how bad that is this way or that way, you know, but I'm talking about, um, I couldn't be honest with somebody if they said, um, come here and, uh, you know, you're just a wonderful guy. I'm not. I have my faults. I try to. I try to work around them. You know, and when I look back to my wife, I wasn't the greatest husband in the world. I tried to be a very good father. Some some father instinct came out by, better than anything. And I think the problem was putting the career before everything and thinking that everything would flow from that. You know, the truth mm. is, God is the center. Let it flow from God, you know that's
0: a powerful thing that's a powerful thing you know you just look I have to repeat this because a lot of comedians have to hear this And a lot Chris we think it's a career that's gonna through that career everything's gonna be fine if we're more successful if the money is flowing if the gig the calendar is full then our marriage and our kids and everything will be fine I mean uh, I felt that for a while, I, honestly, I had this feeling. I only had to work harder, get more shows, and then everything will be fine, but it's not. You find out that uh, life passes you while you're still trying to get that dream or that. But yes. this is powerful, Powerful. power of, keep going. I think
2: the dream is there. If it's applied correctly in terms of being loving to the wife and the children and the family and letting them know their importance and for them understanding, I do give my kids credit, they didn't understand why I was gone. They understood I wasn't out messing around gambling or running around. I was earning a living and I was going after something that was different. That none of us understood. There was a mystery to it. But I, I, I you know, this is one of the things if I teach a comedy class, nobody tells anybody you're going to be traveling almost all the time. You're going to be traveling all the time. You're going to have temptation in front of you all the time. When I say temptation, I'm just not talking about. Uh, I'm not just talking about sex. I'm not just talking about if you're drinking. Uh, you know, God really blessed me that I never did drugs, because when I was in comedy, so many people were doing drugs, and I yes. can't tell you all the comics I know that died, very young from drugs. I had God blessed me with one thing, boy. When drugs came into the picture, I was out of there. I just, it just, I don't know what it was, but it, you know. But when I say challenges, you're going to meet people that are mean to you, nasty to you because they can be people that have agreed to set up your stage and do this, this and that. You've gone through this. I thought we were going to have a sound check. Oh, well, Joe's tired today. He's coming in. Just don't worry. Everything will be great. No, it ain't going to be great. You know, I mean, we go through so many things and you're tempted, though, to, to hit somebody. You're tempted to just go leave. You're tempted just to go. I can't take this anymore. So the temptations aren't just the typical temptations; they're 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 tenfold temptations. You're on stage and somebody's heckling you,
0: right?
2: <laughs> you know what you might want to say to them.
0: Oh yes, you know, oh yeah, that's the hard right? thing about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so temptation ah. is all around, you know, um, uh, and it's tough. But this is what life is, right? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a comedian. My dad was a postman. Whatever job you do, if you're a, a, a lady running a beauty, and I don't want to be sexist saying that. Let's say you're a woman running a corporation. You know, people talk about all new found ideas of what people are. I was watching an old movie from the 1930s, and I'll think of the name of the actress. She was a stage actress. They were trying to make a big movie star. She was good. And the thing was, she ran a big corporation, and she was rich. And what she would do is go through and meet some young executive that was coming up and go, hey, why don't you come over to the house tonight <laughs> to have some dinner? And the guy would be over there and she's, don't no, have an extra drink. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, I know what this woman's doing. And everybody today thinks all these things were never addressed in our past. But they're there. Men and women exercising powers they shouldn't, you know. Uh, uh, race, r- racist stuff that was happening on both sides of the aisle. Also, uh, uh, when they talk about gay people, I was just reading a, uh, a review in a book I gave a friend of mine about Noel Coward, who was a great hero of mine. Noel Coward. and Noel Coward was gay. He never promoted it, but he didn't hide it. He didn't wave a flag. But the... So anyway, this guy wrote this review of him. And at the end, the guy wrote, I think he was more concerned about Coward's homosexuality than Coward's. <laughs> I had a laugh at that. Because I think that's true sometimes. People are more. These people have made some kind of settlement with the issue. These other people mm. are still grappling. I mean, Superman's son is bisexual. So
1: I don't know what to
0: do. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it full circle. But I want to ask you two quick things uh, before we close. I mean, it's been an hour. Uh, I can talk to you for days. Uh, the first question is how did you get the name Big Daddy? Why would you? What do you get?
2: Oh, where did that name come from? Uh, I had a friend Harris Pete, who was the doorman at the comedy store. They'd call him Big Daddy, and somebody called me Big Daddy, and I was over at the L.A. Cabaret, a club I ran for three years, three and a half years, and I'd, I'd say, "Listen, Big Daddy, Big Daddy ain't listening to that. You listen to Big Daddy," and I just <laughs> somehow it, it came into Big Daddy, yeah, and then Robin Williams and uh, Billy Crystal. Uh, it was Jeff Wayne and Big Daddy's Barbecue, and they introduced me as Jeff.
0: Big Daddy Wayne.
2: The clip is on uh, YouTube somewhere now.
0: Oh, okay. Now, uh, tell us about your YouTube channel that you're working on.
2: It's called Big Daddy Knows, because Big (laughs) Daddy does know. And I put up the best video I thought I have made to date called What Would Happen If Tom Brady Ran for President? And uh, I'm hoping to get some more hits on that. I'm going to be doing some work on that because, you know, the YouTube, who knows what's going on. Uh, but on there, I got a number of, of videos. Uh, my favorite is next to Tom Brady is "Somebody Stole My Man Bun." Let's see if I can do it. You see it? You see the back of my head? Uh,
0: no, it? show it.
2: Can you see it? What
0: is? No, what is it?
2: I have a bald spot in the back of my head. <laughs> I have a bald spot, and I say to people, "Somebody stole my man bun." I was sitting waiting to catch <laughs> some kid stole my man bun. But I put. All my videos, I try to be funny on the videos or, or, and address them. The problem with my um, YouTube channel I just, is, is be specific if you want to be terrific, and mine is just all over the place.
0: I just put your uh, Tom Brady video on the comment, people. I want to encourage you to watch oh, it. It's four minutes. It's four minutes. It's very funny, and at the same time, from there, you can go to Big Daddy Knows and follow up... Uh, with subscribe. Jeff. Subscribe. Subscribe. Please subscribe. All right. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Jeff. Uh, what's the name of your book, and when is it coming out?
2: Well, I just finished writing the book and the proposal, so now we got to find an agent or a publisher. And the title of the book is Dad, I Got to Go.
0: Aww. The
2: title is A Son, Schizophrenia, suicide and stand-up comedy ah oh. the words dad i gotta go were the last words i heard my son speak those were the very last words i heard my son speak
0: ah oh. and that's why oh, i thought it's...
2: it was a good title
0: what a book i want to read it i want to read it right I'm away working
2: on it i'm gonna... the book is finished i'm satisfied with the book uh we got the proposal it was harder to do than the book you see i'm dyslexic so it's very you hard. are yes I lost my first agent Mr Lipschitz. Because
0: was-, <laughs> uh, was that his name or backwards? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but also, exactly. I was a very poor
2: student. You know, so it was very difficult I had to hire people to clean up my poor grammar. But hey, mm. that's part of life, you know, get the job done. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Right. They didn't say it was going to be this hard either. I-
0: that's, uh, that's amazing. That's a great advice to people. Nobody says it's going to be easy. It was hard easy, for
2: us to get together with all the difficulties we were up against, but we made it.
0: You made it. And uh, I I will be honored to work with you one day. And you said thank you for the, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in this podcast today, what you said. I didn't know you went through these hard things that you went through. Just a lot of times comedians, we just laugh. And that's what this whole... And laughter for all podcast is about, Brie.
2: I'm sure there are things you've gone through. But unlike a lot of people in the world today, most of us, the right attitude is not to dwell on that or not to wave it around like a flag. It's better just to do what we're supposed to do, go ahead. And then if there's moments like this that mean something, you know, when I'm backstage or in the green room and a comic walks in and goes, oh, you want to believe what happened to me today? I ordered a medium-rare hamburger, and it came well done. And I want to Aww. tell you, it was oh, my God, how, how crushing that could be. I, <laughs> oh, stop, you know. All I mean, when I hear the petty complaints that people. have, Yes. People, hey, listen, I got a friend, Cork Proctor, who's a very funny comedian. He's an older man who's retired. He would always point to somebody in a wheelchair, and he'd say, you see, we have no problems. Isn't that incredible? You see,
0: that's incredible.
2: So, that's what I try to think of. What I start feeling, I give myself five minutes of feeling sorry for myself a day. Because, man, once you turn on the TV and you see people that are homeless, people that are suffering, people that are not eating, people that wasn't that a blessing of God, that little child in Texas, that little girl, that little boy in Texas, yes, open the house, three years old, gone four days. And by
0: gosh,
2: I said, that's that's powerful stuff, man.
0: Amen. Amen. Jeff, yes. how can people get a hold of you?
2: Um, I, I, on my website, Jeff Big Daddy Wayne, www.jeffbigdaddywayne. They can go to the website. I have an email there. I have a phone number there. Uh, I, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I mean, I'm, Perfect. I'm a guy that stays in the same place. I don't move around. Uh, I, As you know from doing techie stuff, I live in the 19th century. <laughs> I'm in the 19th century. I've never used an ATM. I've never ordered a pizza. I'm
1: living.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to hang with you, have coffee with you, if you drink coffee. Well, uh, I thank
2: you so much. I do drink. I drink other things too. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're from much. Kentucky. Not, not too much. Uh, I love you, man. Thank you so much, Jeff. So thank much. you again. I appreciate you doing this and God bless you. And uh, for all of you guys watching, reminding you at 8.30 p.m. tonight, weeknights on Facebook, uh, Comedian Nazareth, we do have uh, our Live with Naz show where we laugh for about 53 minutes, ask you to give us your prayer request, and then uh, we'll encourage you a little bit. So. Hope to see you guys. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Let your friends know to subscribe to this channel so they're able to to enjoy and learn and be touched like we did today. It's amazing. I, I personally got touched by this, and I, I've known Jeff for a while, and this guy is one of the—you know what he's saying? He's not a good Christian. He's better than a lot of Christians I know. Trust me on that one. He's a great guy, kind guy, and uh I, I look forward to work with him. I'm not going to follow him. I'll open for him because he is so powerful. And you got to go check his his um, YouTube channel and watch his stand-up comedy too. He did the dry bar that was just so, so funny. We'll go and watch Jeff Wayne on dry bar. It's amazing. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll see you next Tuesday for another podcast. Uh, next week, we're going to have comedian Johnny W. with us. So I'll see you then, and tonight, 8.30 p.m., Comedian Nazareth. We'll see you there. God bless you.